The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. As you come back in and take a seat, just a few more announcements. First off, uh, the, we're fresh off the men's retreat. It was uh, personally one of the best retreats I've ever been on in my entire life. It was a wonderful retreat. All of the sermons from that retreat are now online. So if you want to re-listen to them or uh, listen to them for the first time, or women, if you want to listen to them, they're great, uh, great talks, and I'd encourage you to go do that. It's just on our main sermon page. Also, um, next week, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. Uh, we're going to be covering over a hundred verses on one Sunday. It's something we have never done before. We are going to cover all nine of the first plagues um, in God's exodus. And so I just want to give you a little bit heads up that things might be a little bit different. I'm not going to read all those verses, but we might have some people reading parts of it. And so just want to give you a heads up on that. Third thing is that we now have to put all of our stuff in a trailer for the next few weeks because they have a play here at Bayview Middle School. And so if you're around after and you can help them pack up that trailer, that would be very helpful. I know Chad and the crew would greatly appreciate that. And finally, as Chad mentioned, I'm feeling a little bit under the weather this morning. Haven't had a lot of sleep the last two nights. And uh, when I get sick, uh, it's, it's not like mild. It's like I pass out, throw up, go to the hospital type of sickness. And so um, you may be able to experience with me one of my most embarrassing moments ever. And so, welcome to Jacob's Well. It's good to have you with us this morning. <laughs> I want to start this morning with a picture, um, if you could put that picture up. And this picture, I know it's very blurry and hard to see, but it's a clipping from a London newspaper in the 19, early 1900s, and it was posted by a man named Ernest Shackleton. Ernest Shackleton was taking a journey to the South Pole, And he needed a crew. And so he posted this in the newspaper. And this is what it says. Men wanted for hazardous journey. Small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness. Sounds like Wisconsin. Constant danger, safe return doubtful. Honor and recognition in case of success. Ernest Shackleton. 4 Burlington Street. You look at this article and you think, who would possibly want this job? But in response to this call that was put out there by Shackleton, over 500 men applied for these positions. And we look at this and we think, why would anybody do this? And it's because nobody wants to live a purposeless, meaningless, worthless life. Nobody wants to simply just eke out an existence. They want what they do to count for something. They want to leave their mark on history. Nobody wants to get to the end of their life and say, I did nothing fantastic. Everyone wants to fulfill a divine calling, a calling from God, no matter what the cost. And you and I are no different. 
If you would please open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 6. It's page 49 in the Red Bible, page 94 in the Children's Bible. If you remember in Exodus chapter 5, Moses responds to God's calling in his life. He goes before Pharaoh and demands the release of the Israelites that they might go into the wilderness and worship the Lord. As a response, the the Pharaoh laughs at Moses, mocks God, and actually increases the burden upon the Israelites. Because of that increased burden, the the masters, the, the foremen of the Israelites are beaten because they cannot keep up with the extra workload. Those foremen of Israel go to Pharaoh and they ask for relief. He will not grant it to them, calling them lazy. And so they turn on Moses and they turn on Aaron. And they say, may God judge you for the suffering you have brought upon us. And so there's Moses. He's confused. He's disappointed. He did exactly what God called him to do, and he was rejected by Pharaoh, rejected by his people, and so he comes to God. And in the form of questions, he calls God to account for himself. He says, Lord, why have you done evil? Lord, why have you not been faithful to your promises? And then last week, Chad walked us through God's gracious and loving response. And in that response, God reiterates to Moses the good news. God says, I will bring you out from Egypt. I will deliver you from slavery. I will redeem you. I will take you to be my people. I will bring you to the land of Canaan, and I will give you that land as a possession. I am the Lord. As a result of this encounter with God, Moses is greatly encouraged And he goes back to the people of Israel to report to them everything that God had just said. And that's where we pick up today's passage. And so let's look together. Exodus chapter 6. Our total passage is verse 9 of Exodus 6 through 7, 13. We're just going to cover 6, 9 through 30 at this point. And then we'll pick up chapter 7 later in in the message. So let's read together. Exodus 6, verse 9 through 30. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised or faltering lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. These are the heads of their father's house, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, also named Jacob. Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. These are the clans of Reuben. The sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shaul. The sons of a Canaanite woman. These are the clans of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi, according to their generation. Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. The years of the life of Levi being 137 years. The sons of Gershon, Libni, and Shemi. 
by their clans, the sons of Kohath, Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uzziel. The years of the life of Kohath being 133 years. The sons of Merari, Mahali, and Mushi. These are the clans of the Levites according to their generations. Amram took as his wife Jochebed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses. The years of the life of Amram being 137 years. The son of Izhar, Korah, Nepheg, and Zikri. The sons of Uziel, Mishael, Elzaphon, and Sithri. Aaron took as his wife Elisheb, Elisheba, the daughter of Emmedadab. That's not even fair. <laughs> and the sister of Nashon, and she bore him Nadab, Abayu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. The sons of Korah, Asir, Elkanah, and Abisaph. These are the clans of the Korites. Eleazar, Aaron's son, took as his wife one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore him Phineas. These are the heads of the father's houses of the Levites by their clans. These are the Aaron and Moses, to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt. It's this Moses and this Aaron. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of an uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? Let's pray. Lord, as we come to your scripture this morning, and we look at the calling put upon the Moses on, on the life of Moses, God, pray that we would that we would have clarity on the own calling that you put on our life, God. And that not only will we have clarity, God, but that you would give us boldness and that you would give us faith to carry that calling out. We pray this in your name. Amen. I want to deal with three questions today. The first question is, what is your unique calling? What is the unique calling that God has put on your life? The second question is, what obstacles are there to, those, to that calling? And what do you do when there are obstacles to that calling? And then the third question I want to ask is, what would happen if beyond all obstacles, you were obedient to God's unique calling in your life? These are the questions that we're going to look at today through the lens of the life of Moses. And so let's get started. First, let's talk about what is our calling before God. Now, to understand your calling before God, first you need to understand your identity. This is vitally important. You know, obviously, in case you didn't notice, we read this long genealogy. And it seems to interrupt a very good story. And I don't know about you, but when I come across genealogies like this, my, my eyes kind of glaze over and I either skip it or I hurry through it to get on to the good stuff of the Bible. But as you dig in deeper to this genealogy, you see it's very important to understanding the identity and therefore the calling of Moses and Aaron. It's interesting because in this passage, it actually tells us the purpose of this genealogy. Look in verse 26 with me again. 
It says, these are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt. This Moses and this Aaron. The genealogy takes the sons of Jacob, who's also called Israel, and it, it lists out their sons and grandsons and great-grandsons and so on and so forth. But it does not take all the sons of Jacob. It just takes specific ones because it's trying to communicate something very specifically to us. What's trying to communicate to us is the identity of Moses, the identity of Aaron, and how this gives validity to their mission. You see, Moses was raised by Egyptians, not by Israelites. And then Moses, when 40 years old, went to defend the Israelites and was cast out by Israel. And then Moses was gone for 40 years. That's longer than I've been alive. And then he comes back in. And maybe what's going through their mind is, who is this guy to represent us? And so you get this genealogy. And through this genealogy, you understand that Moses is indeed a true child of not only Jacob, who's also Israel, but also his father, Isaac, and his father, Abraham. And it's to these three men, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that God gives the promise that to your descendants who will be in bondage for 400 years, I will bring them up out of bondage into the promised land of Canaan and give it to them as a possession. And so what we see here is that Moses and Aaron identity as being the sons of the promise and sons of God makes them eligible to be called by God and sent by God for the purpose of God and to the glory of God. And so this understanding of their identity is very important to understanding their, their capability of representing the people of God before Pharaoh. Now, I know this might seem archaic to us, that where someone was born or who they were born to would, would make them a, a leader or representative for us. But this isn't such a foreign concept to Donald Trump. You may know what I'm talking about. Several years ago, Donald Trump was on a campaign to prove that the president in his campaign was not a U.S. citizen, that he did not have a valid birth certificate, that he wasn't born in the United States, wasn't born a U.S. citizen. And what he was trying to do through this, he had a lot of ulterior motives. Obviously, he's trying to discredit him for his own gain. But he's trying to cast doubt in the minds of the Americans saying, listen, this guy is not one of us. He can't represent us because he's not one of us. And so this is something that we see is very important, that we must first understand our identity and who we belong to before we can understand our calling. You cannot glorify a God that you do not know. You cannot represent a Christ if you are not in Christ. We have to establish our identity so we can identify who is calling us and who we are fulfilling the calling for. And so what is your identity? Are you a child of God? Not everybody is a child of God, but are you a child of God? Are you a child of God because you have looked to the child of God, Jesus Christ? Knowing this as your identity allows you to understand the calling that God has on your life. So let's go ahead and keep moving forward. What is our calling? There are two types of calling I want to address today, and these are my words, and so 
They haven't been perfected over time, but, but this is a helpful way for me to think of it. First off, we all have God's general calling. This is the calling placed on every, every human being as found in Scripture. And so every human being is called to follow God's moral law. God's moral law is summed up in the Ten Commandments. I'm sure most of you have heard of it. Commands like, you shall have no other gods before me. Do not create an idol. Uh, do not take the Lord's name in vain. Absorb the Sabbath. This is a calling from God to holiness and to obedience. It goes on. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder or commit adultery or steal or bear false testimony or covenant. This is God's general calling, not just to Christians, but to all mankind. He's calling us to obedience to his general calling found in his word. But then there's God's specific calling. And this is the unique calling placed on an individual as guided by the Holy Spirit and externally confirmed. I'll explain that in a little bit. But what we see is that each and every one of us, God has gifted differently and given us different passions to fulfill his calling of redemption in this world. But it has to fit within God's general will. And so none of us will be called to be bank robbers for Jesus. At least I don't think, I I couldn't imagine that, but we're not going to be bank robbers for Jesus or murderers for Jesus. That's not what he's called us to be because it doesn't fit within God's general will. But within his general calling for our life, he has specific callings. For Moses, it was very, very evident. It's been repeated several times in the first six chapters of Exodus, but it's even repeated four times just in this passage. Verse 10, so the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let people of Israel go out of his land. Verse 13, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Verse 29, I'm the Lord, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. And then 7-2, which we'll get back, get to in a little bit, he says, you shall speak to Pharaoh all that I command you and bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. So Moses' calling, his specific calling, which is not given to all of us, but is given to Moses, is extremely clear. Go to Pharaoh, say all that I command you, and bring the people of Israel out of Egypt that they may come and worship me. This is Moses' specific calling in God's plan of redemption. And so the question for us, the question for you, is what is your specific plan? I'm sorry, what is your specific calling in God's plan of redemption? In seminary, I had a professor named Dr. Douglas, and Dr. D's main focus was to help us understand God's specific calling on our life. And in helping to generate this over three years of seminary, we would do different personality tests, but we'd also understand what is our gifting, what is our passion, things of that sort. And as we came to the end of seminary, we put together what was called our divine design statement. Really, it's our specific calling from God. How has God made us to be a part of his global plan of redemption? And I have mine, and I have it here on the screen, and I'm just going to read it to you to give you an idea, because maybe this is something that you would be interested in doing. Maybe the Holy Spirit would spur you to do this for your own life. It goes like this. Dan Jackson is a child of God. Identity, right? Identity is important. Called to starting ministries and developing them to their fruitful potential in Christ. 
passionate about relationship-based incarnational ministry that participates in Jesus' ministry of winning people to himself, helping them grow in their faith, and equipping them to minister to others. It's funny looking back, and I haven't looked at that in, I don't know, eight years. It's still pretty accurate. You know, Chris and Chad also had to do a divine design statement, and I haven't seen them, but I can tell you they're different than mine. (laughs) They're a lot different than mine. Mine doesn't include singing. Mine doesn't include organization. God has given each of us unique giftings and passions to be a part of his grand plan of redemption. What are yours? Maybe you're here and you're searching and you're wondering, what what has God called me to in life? I know this is something that we wrestle with frequently and something that, that uh, some phrases that we often use to help us understand this is, is internal calling and external confirmation. First off, internal calling. What are you passionate about? What stirs your heart's affection? What does the Holy Spirit keep you awake at night thinking about? Secondly, what is common sense to you but is complicated to others? You know, I can guarantee you, Jesus will never call me to be a financial planner for Christ. It's never going to happen. It is like a foreign language to me. But to others, it's just complete common sense. What is, what is common sense to you that is so complicated to other people? So that's the internal calling. Secondly, external confirmation. It's so important to have external confirmation because so many people feel called by the Holy Spirit to go do these great and amazing things for Jesus and they have such a good intention and yet they go out not being able to see their own blind spots, not being able to see their own weaknesses and they go out with good intentions and do damage to others, damage to themselves and even damage to Christ's church. And so it is so important to have this external confirmation. For example, there was a gentleman a couple years ago, I believe it was about four years ago, who had this strong internal calling to plant a church on the east side of Milwaukee. And we were so excited that this guy was, felt called to go and plant this church in Milwaukee. He was a great guy, loved the Lord, great evangelist, seemed like a perfect fit. But then he started going around to different churches and he started going around and started preaching. And churches asked that he don't come back. And so he had to deal with this reality that God hadn't gifted him in this way. And so we had to say to him, listen, Pete, it's not his name, but Pete, there's not an external confirmation that you can do this. And that might seem harsh, but what's worse being honest or letting him move his entire family, raise hundreds and thousands of dollars, start to collect people, and then as soon as he starts preaching, everyone dissipates. And so that external confirmation is so helpful. And you know what? People around you know what you're good at. They know what you're gifted at. They know what God has gifted you at. And even as you grow and you get older and you try things out, if you're not sure what you, what you feel called to or passionate about, what you're good at, just try things out. 
I mean, try teaching, teaching children's church. You may do it and say, this is the most horrible thing I've ever done. Or you must say, might say, this is amazing. Either way, you will know. This is a way that God has gifted you and has passioned you or has not. And so what is God's specific calling on your life in his great and global plan of redemption? Next, obstacles to following God's calling. Sometimes we think that if we're faithful to follow God's calling in our life, that everything should be easy peasy, nice and easy, right? However, in a fallen and corrupt world, it's never easy. You know what is easy? Apathy. Sitting at home. Doing nothing. Entertaining yourself to death. That's easy. Following God's call isn't easy. This was certainly the case for Moses. Moses had an internal call. God verbally talked to him. Never happened to me, but God verbally talked to Moses. And there was the external confirmation of miracles given to Moses to prove that he was sent by God. But Moses met obstacle after obstacle, even though it was God's calling. The first obstacle we see is that God's servant Moses is ignored by Israel. After God verbally says to Moses, I will bring you out of Egypt. I will deliver you from slavery. I will redeem you. I will take you to be my people. I will bring you into the land of Canaan, and I will give it to you as a possession. After he hears those things, he goes and he shares it with his fellow Israelites. And do you remember their response in verse 9? It said, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Moses was given a calling from God to go to a people. And the very people that God was calling Moses to go and to deliver said, no, thank you. We are not interested. We want to continue into our life of slavery and bondage. I know this might seem ridiculous, but this happens all the time. God has given us a great message of freedom, of liberty, of deliverance. Dr. Jimmy Agin this weekend summarized it this way. He said, Jesus is your good enough. Jesus is your strong enough. Jesus is your happy enough. Meaning Jesus is your good enough. Meaning Jesus saves you so you don't have to save yourself. He's good enough for you. Jesus is your strong enough. Jesus frees you from the power of sin. Sin that you can never free yourself from. And Jesus is your happiness. Jesus provides joy for all eternity. Endless ceaseless joy forever. And this is yours. Do you want it? I'm not interested. I'd rather just go back to my life. Slavery to sin sounds so much more appetizing. (laughs) Do not be surprised if if the people God sends you to to proclaim the message of deliverance Reject it once, twice, three, ten, twenty times. It makes no sense, but it happens. And this is an obstacle that we shouldn't be deterred by, just like Moses wasn't. And so we see the first barrier is that Moses was rejected by the very people he's coming to proclaim deliverance to. The second is that God's word is opposed by Pharaoh. 
Verse 12 in chapter 6, Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? And indeed, he was right. When we get to the end of chapter or the middle of chapter 7, our reading today, what we'll see is that after Moses goes to Pharaoh again, does amazing signs, says Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not let Israel go. So often, we shrink from God's calling in our life. When the people who don't know God oppose God's word. You know, God's word continually gets stranger and stranger to this world. Let me give you one example. God's word very clearly says that homosexuality is a sin. It also says lust is a sin and greed is a sin. It says a lot of things that we all do is sin. But one of the things it says is sin is homosexuality. And I have good friends that have same-sex attraction to other people, friends in this church, friends outside this church that I love very, very much. And what we've seen in today's culture is this gravitation towards accepting sin and calling it good. In 1996, when I graduated high school, 27% of Americans approved of same-sex marriage. Less than 20 years later, in 2015, it's doubled, more than doubled. 60% of Americans favor same-sex marriage. The church isn't much different. In 2013, the Protestant church was split 46% for and 46% against. Kevin DeYoung, in a conference that we went to recently, said, Worldliness is what makes righteousness look strange and wickedness look normal. Worldliness is what makes righteousness look strange and wickedness look normal. And one of the agents to normalizing sin is entertainment. And so what we see is this infiltration of the normalization of sin on TV, on radio, and music. All of these things become normal. All of these things become okay. And what it does for people like me, who are feelers, who, who love people, is I want to disregard God's word. I want to say, you know what, it's okay. Just, just be who you want to be. God would never keep you from doing what you want to do. That's kind of what I want to say. But we must remain faithful to God's word. We must remain faithful to call sin what is sin, not just in other people's lives, but also in our own lives. We cannot accommodate to the culture. You really have two choices. Who is going to declare to you what is right and what is true? Will it be God or it will be the culture and your emotions and your feelings? Those are your two options. And the question is, who is going to tell you what is right and what is wrong? You know, this relates far more to far more things than homosexuality. You know, 50 years ago, it was a noble thing to remain sexually pure until you were married. Now people want to, want to know, how do I know if I'm compatible if we don't have intimacy before marriage? You know, it's amazing when I tell people you should not be sleeping with someone who's not your spouse. They think I have a second head growing out of me. They look at me like I'm so bizarre and so strange. And so as we hold tight to God's calling and God's command, you need to know that the world will think you are a very odd, odd, odd person. Do not be surprised by this. Be encouraged. God tells us this will happen. He says, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and the 
and, and among those who are perishing, to one a fragrance from death to death, and the other a fragrance from life to life. Worldliness is what makes righteousness look strange and wickedness look normal. God's word will be opposed by the world, guaranteed. And we don't hate people because they don't understand it. We have compassion and love and gentleness. And we share the good news of God's word. We must remain faithful to God's calling and to God's word, even when we are opposed by leaders and by culture, by friends and by family. The third obstacle, God's power is reduced to stuttering. Verse 12 and 30 say almost the same thing. Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised or faltering or stuttering or stumbling lips. Moses questions God's calling because Moses is looking to himself. And he's not looking to God. The same thing happened to Peter, if you remember. He's walking on the sea because why Jesus called him. She said, come on, Peter, come walk on the sea. And as Peter focuses on Jesus, he walks upon the water, but then he starts to be distracted by the storm and the waves and his own finiteness. And he starts to sink below the water. One of the most difficult things about following God's calling is getting over ourselves, giving, getting over our incompetencies, following God's calling in our life will never be easy peasy, nice and easy. There will always be obstacles. There will always be people who ignore you, always people who oppose you. And there will always be limitations in your own power. And it is at that time that we must remember not only God's calling, but the glory of the God who has called us. As I mentioned earlier, there was a gentleman who believed he was called to plant a church in Milwaukee and that didn't work out. And so we had been candidating. We'd been flying in all of these candidates. And every time we fly in a candidate, it takes a lot of time, a lot of effort, and a lot of money. We show them around town. We tell them about the vision. We tell them uh, all that stuff. And so every time somebody came to town, it was very, uh, it was very tempting to push them into this role, to say, please take this because we're really done interviewing people. We don't want to do this anymore. And so during that time, those people would probably feel the pressure to say yes to something that maybe they were not called to. And so I would say to each and every one of them very clearly, listen, we love you. We'd love for you to come. But if you are not called, if you and your wife are not called by God to come to Milwaukee, please, 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 please do not come. Please do not come. We'd love to have you. But if you're not called, please do not come. And the reason I say it is because I know what it's like to be a church planter. I know what it's like to be a pastor. You know, my pastor, when I was, before I went to seminary, he used to say, I feel like quitting about once a week. And I thought, oh, that's so funny that he says that. It ain't funny anymore. <laughs> it's reality. Just because you feel like quitting doesn't mean you ain't called to something. And it's in that time that you must look both to your calling and to the glory of the God who has called you. 
If you are a father, you are called by God to lead your family spiritually. And many of you feel so ashamed, so inadequate, so stupid that you recede from that calling. Remember your calling. And remember the glory of the God who has called you. He is strong enough. He can use a stutterer to bring the people out of Egypt. He can use you to disciple your family. Maybe you are a mom, and I know this is for many of you moms. You have little children at home, and they don't act like Christians. (laughs) They act like Pharaoh, don't they? They're rebellious. They're angry. They're cute. But they're frustrating. Remember your calling. Remember the God who has called you. Maybe you're a kid and your parents seem just out of touch with reality. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're saying. And yet you know you're called by God to honor your father and mother, to obey them in the Lord as long as they don't ask you to do something sinful. But it's hard to do. Remember your calling. Remember the God, the glory of the God who has called you. All right, finally, obedience to God's calling. And we'll have to race through this a little bit. What happens when there's all of these obstacles in opposition to God's calling in your life, and yet you still obey? What happens? 7-1 through 13. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh in terms of authority, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I commanded you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. Again, calling Moses once again. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I, will lay, then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as they obeyed, just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old. When they spoke to Pharaoh, you're never too old to follow the calling of Jesus. Verse 8, Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, Prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. So at this point, Moses might think good things are about to happen. Maybe Israel is going to be let go, right? Maybe Pharaoh's going to give up. Verse 11. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. This shows the Lord's authority over the snake god of Egypt. Verse 13. Still. Still, still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. 
Moses' obedience to God had ended with another failing, it had seemed. At least maybe in Moses' and Aaron's mind. But this was working out the plan of God. If you remember the first time Moses went to Pharaoh, Pharaoh and, and, and told Pharaoh to let Israel go, Pharaoh responds by saying, Who is the Lord that I should obey him? Who is he that I should let Israel go? I will not let Israel go because I don't know this Lord. And so here we see, as we fast forward to this chapter, God says that, that he's going to send Moses and Aaron to go and ask for a freedom that he know Pharaoh will not get because God wants to show Pharaoh, wants to show Israel, wants to show Egypt, wants to show the entire world, and wants to show us exactly who the Lord is. And he will show us and them through his mighty works. When Moses and Aaron understood God's purpose, they went. And as a result, God's name would be magnified throughout the entire world. You know, if you fast forward 40 years in Joshua chapter 2, Israel comes out of Egypt. They go through the Red Sea. They go, they wander in the wilderness because they're unfaithful and disobedient. And then they come to the promised land and they send two spies into Jericho. Those two spies go into Jericho and they come across this woman named Rahab. And Rahab takes these two spies and she hides them. And she tells us why she hides them. She says the whole city is afraid of Israel. And then she actually says this, We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. And then listen to this. For the Lord your God, he is God. In the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Mission accomplished. The Lord let the whole world know who he was through his mighty acts. And if Pharaoh had let them go at the very beginning, we would not know the greatness and the grandeur and the power of a God who saves his people. And so God accomplishes his purpose by fantastic Signs, showing himself as almighty, all-powerful Savior God. You know, Moses and Aaron could not have understood in their seemingly failed obedience how God was going to use their obedience to make his name known to the whole world. And yet they still obeyed again and again. You know, we read, we sang a song earlier, Trust and Obey, right? Trust and Obey. And I don't know if you caught the last line in it, but in the last line, it says, what he says we will do, where he sends we will go, never fear, only trust and obey. Trust and obey. You may not know why God calls you to do something. You may not know. Trust and obey. God has a plan. And here's the exciting news. God makes a promise that if you follow his calling, that if you trust and obey, even if you don't understand what it means, that you will be successful in God's plan 100% of the time. 100% of the time. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 tells us of that promise. It says, But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is is not, never, ever 
in vain. When you labor for God, when you're obedient to God's calling, when you trust and obey, your labor will never be in vain. Let me end with this. We have some missionaries, Kate and Kaylin Spencer, and I think we have a picture there. And uh, the enemy has attacked them in many ways. Um, They are in Taiwan, uh, interested in church planting there. And a few weeks ago, Kate uh, wrote a blog post, and some of you have read it, and I'm going to shorten it, but it went like this. She says, since starting our family in Taiwan, I've often lamented, it'd be so much easier to have kids if we lived near family. For the record, this is true. You can't beat grandparents. I've said the same thing myself. (laughs) But about a month ago, Kaylin, her husband, gently pointed out that I often use this phrase as an excuse to throw myself a little pity party. And then look where he points. I love this. He says, Kate, God has called. He has called our family to live in Taiwan. It is hard. But using this little phrase to complain just makes it harder. It sounds like you don't want to accept the work God's given you to do. Do you think you should keep saying it? She goes on to talk about all of the things that they're going through, all of the things that their kids, the sickness they're going through. Even now, their kids have pneumonia. They've had rashes all over their bodies. The hospitality has not been good. And yet she says through that whole process, she has decided to stop saying, it would be so much easier if. It would be so much easier if. And instead to say, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. What is God's calling on your life? What has he called you to do? What has he gifted and impassioned you to do? It's so much easier to just look for the good life, to entertain yourself to death, to accumulate things and and to do nothing. But you don't want to get to the end of your life and say, I've wasted it all. My life has been purposeless. You were given a divine, a divine calling. So let us run with endurance. The race that is set before us, the calling that God has given to us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Lord, as we consider our calling, pray, Lord, that you would move us out of the bleachers and into action. Lord, even if we don't know that that we would do something to figure out what might you have called us to, and that we would follow that calling obediently, no matter how much glory it gets from the world or how, how quiet it is from the world, that we would obey you, Lord, that we would obey your word, and obey your calling in our life. We need your strength, and we need your power for that, God. Lord, as we turn to the table, Lord, we pray these elements would be set apart, God, that they would not just be bread and juice, but that we would recognize that they are our spiritual nourishment to fulfill the calling that you have put in our life, a calling that is impossible without you, but a calling that is so glorious that really we should sacrifice anything we can to fulfill it. And so nourish us through your supper. We pray in Jesus' name.
Amen. Jesus' calling certainly had obstacles, didn't it? One major obstacle was the cross. And as Jesus was preparing to go to the cross to take on our sin and take on our shame, Jesus celebrated the final Passover meal with his disciples and he took bread and he said to them, take, eat, this is my body. And in the same way he took a cup and when he gave thanks, he gave it to him saying, drink of it all of you for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. As we distribute the elements this morning, I encourage you first off, if you are not a child of God, if you don't know God, Please pass elements by. We want you to know this good news that Jesus is your good enough, you're strong enough, and you're happy enough. We'd love to share more about that with you. But we ask that you pass elements by. If you're here today and you know the calling that God has put on your life, pray that God would use this to nourish you in that calling that he has put on your life, to equip you, to carry that out. As we distribute the elements, please take and hold and we'll partake together as one body.